Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Tuesday, March 28th, 2023. It's been 3,317 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 398 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess the Russian winter offensive has culminated. Second, we assess that the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and, beyond Bakhmut, are only capable of point and localized attacks. Third, we assess that the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut remains in a critical state and is fluid, with defensive lines protecting the ground line of communication called a G-lock, that's a supply line, stabilized. Fourth, we maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, those are seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of the cost. Fifth, we maintain that Russian forces are experiencing a theater-wide shortage of non-precision artillery munitions. Sixth, We maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident due to the de-energization of Ukraine's electrical grid as long as the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, continues to target Ukraine's power industry. Seventh, we maintain that the Russian MOD has degraded the political and military strength and influence of private military company, or PMC Wagner Group, and its leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin. Eighth, We maintain the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. And finally, we maintain the Kremlin is also actively interfering with the Georgian government's attempt to join the European Union. One year ago yesterday, on March 27, 2022, in Cherniv, Russian forces withdrew from Slavyatich after a one-day occupation. Residents said soldiers looted stores and took food. Ukraine's counteroffensive in Sumy continued, with the settlement of Boromila liberated. In Kharkiv near Izum, Ukrainian forces launched a counteroffensive near Husarivka. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky told Ukrainian troops in Mariupol that they could withdraw if they believed the situation was hopeless. Unit commanders refused, declaring they would fight to the last to protect the civilian population. Russian leaders falsely claimed the capture of Rubizhne and Popazna. Again. 
around Kyiv, Irpin, Lukyanivka, and Rudnitsky were liberated, and Ukrainian forces reached Orane on the southern edge of the Chernobyl exclusion zone. Russian caliber cruise missiles struck a Ukrainian ammo depot in Pletesk and a fuel depot in Lutsk near Lviv. Due to heavy losses in Ukraine, Russia started withdrawing military equipment and peacekeepers from Azerbaijan for redeployment. Ukrainian troops were accused of shooting three Russian POWs in the knee. Satellite images showed Russia had set up a concentration camp in Bezimen, outside of Mariupol. Near Kharkiv, the Drobitsky Yar Holocaust Memorial was shelled by Russian troops. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, positional fighting in the area of Sinkivka continued, with no change to the line of conflict. Moving right along to the Donbass region in Luhansk. In the Kremina operational area, Russian mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo reported fighting near Makievka and Nevske, and reported both attacks were unsuccessful. Otherwise, there was only positional fighting and DRG activity from Ploshanka to the Serebriansky woods. The Lysychansk operational area was the most active area in Luhansk, with unsuccessful Russian point attacks northeast and east of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, Russian forces continued attempts to advance on Vesele from Yakovlivka without success. In the Bakhmut operational area, PMC Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin was recorded in school number five, indicating continued advance from the southeast part of the city along the T-513 highway. Fighting is starting to approach the downtown core from the Donba Reservoir direction, we adjusted the line of conflict north to Vasilia Pershina Street based on the Russian state media report and geolocated video. North of Bakhmut, only Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar reported continued fighting in the village of Orikhovo Vasilivka. No other source made the same claim, including the Russian MOD, Wagner social media channels, or Wagner group-aligned journalists. North of Botanivka and Romova, fighting continued, with Russian attacks failing to advance toward the T-506 highway G-lock. In Bakhmut, fighting continued, as previously noted, in the southeast, to the north and the southwest. PMC Wagner continues to lead the fighting in the city. There were no changes to the north, with Russian attacks stalling out. Ukrainian forces hold a strong line of defense to the southwest along Korsunskoho Street. Rybar walked back previous claims about fighting at the Avantgarde Stadium. Based on the report, we adjusted the gray area slightly, moving the stadium back to Ukrainian control. Near Korsunskoho Street, Wagner mercenaries occupied a building the Ukrainian 93rd Motor Infantry Brigade had set demolition charges in. After a drone observed the Wagner unit occupying the building, Ukrainian forces blew it up. There is video of the explosion, and as with most of the photos and videos we reference on the podcast, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. It has now been 10 days since PMC Wagner released a map update for Bakhmut. Russian troops continued their attempts to advance on Ivanivske and reach where the MiG-17 statue was located without success. 
Both Slovyansk and Druzhivka were hit by two Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack. In Slovyansk, Russian mill bloggers claimed that a Ukrainian military recruiting office was targeted. Two people were killed and 32 wounded in the attack. The missile strike destroyed administrative offices and damaged five apartment towers and seven private homes. In Druzhivka, an orphanage was destroyed. However, the residents had been evacuated in April 2022, leaving the facility unused. In southwest Donetsk, in the northern sector of the Avdiivka operational area, we made some small adjustments to the map. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported a Russian attack, quote, towards Novobakhmutivka, was unsuccessful, which is a departure from in the area of. Both Ukrainian and Russian sources have reported that control of the settlement is not firm and can change more than once a day. Due to the GSAFU's very specific language, we move the line into the western part of the town using terrain analysis. Russian attacks in the direction of Novokalinova and Stepova were unsuccessful. Ukrainian sources reported fighting for control of Kamyanka continued, while Rybar repeated their claim the settlement is under Russian control. Russian forces continued limited attacks on Avdiivka from the east and failed to advance towards Sieverne. Morgonzo reported that Ukrainian forces had gone on the offense at Opitne. Attacks on Pervomaiske from Piski continued, with the 1st Army Corps heavily supported by Russian Mobiks making marginal gains. The GSAFU reported that Russian forces renewed attempts to advance on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske. The GSAFU accused Russia of using CS gas, also called tear gas, grenades in Novokalinova, Pervomaiske, Lastochkine, and Marinka. While CS is used by many police forces worldwide on civilians, it is considered a chemical weapon and is barred from being used in warfare. In the Marinka operational area, Russian forces renewed attempts to advance on Krasnohorivka and remained incapable of advancing on the flanks of Marinka. In Marinka, fighting continued in the rubble of the city center with no change in the situation. A Russian propagandist lamented Russia's inability to capture Marinka, saying, quote, If Marinka could be surrounded, it would have disappeared from the agenda long ago. We go house to house. In the surrounding fields, gaining a foothold is impossible. End quote. He cynically described Marinka as a, quote, school for our infantry. Quick sidebar, I would probably comment on the absurdity of calling a hopelessly devastating war zone a school of any kind, but I live in the United States, and I don't have it in me right now. In Mariupol, the condition of Mikhail Moskvin, the head of the occupation police force who was wounded in a car bomb explosion, is worse than Russian state media initially reported. Moskvin is reportedly in serious condition in the intensive care unit with a closed head injury from the concussive force of the blast. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. 
Moving on to Zaporizhia. Ukrainian President Zelensky met with International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, Director General Rafael Grossi in Dnipro. Zelensky said, quote, The situation at Zaporizhia nuclear power plant was examined in detail. Without the immediate withdrawal of Russian troops and personnel from the ZNPP and adjacent territories, any initiatives to restore nuclear safety and security are doomed to failure. I am grateful to Rafael Grossi for his support in matters related to guaranteeing the safety of nuclear energy facilities in Ukraine. End quote. Grossi plans to travel to ZNPP as part of the upcoming IAEA staff rotation planned for later this week. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported there were seven vessels of the Black Sea fleet on patrol, including one Kilo-class submarine capable of launching up to four caliber cruise missiles. Weather in the Black Sea and occupied Crimea is expected to worsen, with storm warnings issued for heavy rain and winds up to 25 meters per second, that's 90 kilometers per hour, or 56 miles per hour, for March 28th through 30th. Heavy mountain snow on the southern tip of Crimea is expected on March 30th, with rain continuing on the coastal plain. Weather is already impacting the Kerch Strait ferry operations, with 77 trucks in the queue to cross. According to local officials, five ZSTS Infantry Mobility Vehicles, or IMVs, with Chechen Akhmat collided on the Crimean Bridge due to, quote, excessive speed, and not maintaining a safe distance while in convoy. There were no reports of injuries, but four of the five vehicles suffered significant damage and one is likely totaled. The accident resulted in the lanes heading toward Crimea from Russia being closed for hours. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces continued to fire on each other's positions across the Dnipro River. Russian forces completed 60 fire missions, firing 316 artillery rounds, mortars, rockets, and indirect tank fire, attacking the city of Kherson eight times and wounding five. Bereslav was shelled throughout the day, wounding two. Russian artillery units on the east bank of the Dnipro are systematically destroying the city. Unrelated to a larger drone attack during the evening yesterday in the Nikopol rayon, Marchanets was hit by a kamikaze drone that struck a school. A 51-year-old man required hospitalization, and area houses were damaged by the concussive force of the blast. In the evening, an Iranian-sourced Shahed 136 kamikaze drone struck an unspecified business in Dnipro, causing a fire. There were no injuries, and air defenses shot down two other drones. In north and northeast Ukraine, in Kyiv, Air defenses intercepted 12 Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones. Air defense missile or drone debris landed in the Kyiv suburb of Kotsyubinsk and the Sviatoshinsky district. In the Sviatoshinsky district, a fire erupted at a clothing store, which emergency services extinguished. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. European Commission spokesperson for foreign affairs and security policy, Peter Stano, said that if the Russian Federation follows through with its plan to forward deploy nuclear weapons in Belarus, quote, 
there will be consequences. End quote. Stano could not elaborate on what sanctions would be implemented, adding, quote, We are ready for all scenarios and reviewing our readiness as events unfold. First, it is essential to reject these statements and hear what the Belarusian side, the Lukashenko regime, which is already complicit in this barbaric illegal aggression, will say. But the fact is that this would be an escalation creating a threat to the security of Europe. End quote. In Belarus, it took less than 24 hours for the propagandists working for the Dark Potato Prince and self-declared President Alexander Lukashenko to threaten Poland and Lithuania with nuclear annihilation. The United Nations Security Council will meet regarding Russian President Vladimir Putin's statement on deploying tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus. The spokesperson for the President of the General Assembly of the UN, Stefan Ducharik, said, quote, As far as I know, the meeting should take place this week. But this, of course, is a matter for the Security Council itself. End quote. Any vote or statement will be symbolic, with Russia having veto power. A vote condemning the deployment would put China in a very awkward diplomatic position, which may be Kyiv's motivation. The official representative of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the People's Republic of China, Mao Ning, hinted that Beijing's response would be lukewarm at best. During a press briefing, Ning said, quote, In January of last year, the leaders of the five nuclear weapons states made a joint statement about the impossibility of winning or waging a nuclear war. The statement emphasized that wars between nuclear-armed states should be avoided and strategic risks should be reduced. All parties should focus on diplomatic efforts for a peaceful settlement of the Ukrainian crisis and work together to contribute to the de-escalation of the situation. End quote. Quick sidebar. Well, now we know that if China ever invades Taiwan, they won't call it a special military operation. They'll call it a crisis. Clearly embracing China's request for de-escalation, Nikolai Patrushev, secretary of the Russian Security Council, declared, quote, Russia has a unique weapon, which is capable of destroying any opponent, mainly the U.S., in case there is a threat to Russia's existence. End quote. Actually, yes. It's called organized disinformation on the Internet. Russia started testing the waters in 2010, ramped things up in 2012, and went scorched earth starting in 2015. Our team has been fighting Russian disinformation since 2020, and being on the zero line for over three years now, we can safely say the West is not winning. Speaking of not winning, let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. Lieutenant General Andriy Kuzmenko has been named the new Russian Federation Eastern Military District Commander, replacing Colonel General Rustam Muradov, who the Kremlin dismissed. Muradov was promoted to Colonel General less than two months ago, despite a string of military failures that resulted in the loss of more than 130 armored vehicles and thousands of troops. Russian President Vladimir Putin signed a decree that in occupied Luhansk, Donetsk, Zaporizhia, and Kherson, the age limit for volunteering, conscription, or mobilization into the Territorial Guard has been lifted through January 1, 2026. The decree also specifies that anyone can volunteer 
be conscripted or mobilized even if they don't have identification papers. A video showed a train in Russia hauling more Cold War-era T-62 medium-duty tanks that received mild upgrades, such as ERA bricks on the turrets, heading west toward Ukraine. Despite protests by local officials, a huge cemetery in the resort town of Goryachi Klyuch in Krasnodar Krai, Russia, continues to expand. There is, of course, video which we do link to in our full situation report on Patreon. According to the person making the video, the new cemetery was created at the end of 2022, and in the video, new graves stretch as far as the eye can see. The Wall Street Journal reports that Russia and Iran have reached a trade agreement. Iran will continue to provide Shahed 131 and 136 drones in exchange for cyber weapons, including software that allows hacking phones and other software. We had previously dismissed reports of an exchange of Su-35 multi-role fighters for drones because the rumored deal was financially lopsided in Iran's favor. Iran already has a robust cyber warfare capability, and these new capabilities may be turned internally due to continued unrest. We have a public service announcement. Teaching a Mobik how to throw a Soviet 1950s anti-tank grenade while everyone is highly intoxicated, is a poor life choice. In other news, Russian troops are being issued RKG-3EM parachute-guided anti-tank grenades developed in 1950. Yep, everything is going to plan. In geopolitical news, the Parliament of Hungary ratified Finland's accession to the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO. Speaking recently with Finnish President Saulini Nista, Turkish President Recep Erdogan said Finland had taken, quote, concrete steps to address concerns about groups that Turkey considers terrorist organizations. Also, the Turkish president once again noted that Sweden has not yet made, quote, positive decisions. On the issue of Sweden, the Hungarian head of the prime minister's office, Balaj Orban, also called nepotism, said that Hungary will ratify Sweden's accession to NATO when the Swedish side stops, quote, criticizing Hungary. Russia considers Armenia's intention to join the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court, or ICC, unacceptable, and warned Yerevan there would be consequences if they move forward with ratification. Armenia is one of six CSTO nations, the Russian Federation's equivalent to NATO. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.